Well, uh, as I mentioned last Sunday, over the past couple of years, uh, our congregation has been engaged with Immerse, the Bible reading experience. And Immerse is a very unique way for us to engage Scripture. Uh, We're being invited during this season in our church life to read the Bible big, meaning to follow Uh, the larger grand narrative of God that we find in the Old Testament and into the New Testament, to read big, to read real, where we are coming across texts that maybe we have honest questions about or that we struggle with, and to, to, to read it real and to read it together. To, to raise those honest questions, to share the struggles that we have in guided conversations about what we are reading in our small group Bible studies that are happening throughout the week. Uh, we are reading the third of six volumes in Immerse, and this particular volume is entitled Kingdoms. And Kingdoms really presents the story of God's people Israel Uh, from their conquest of Canaan, the promised land, recorded for us in the book of Joshua, through the struggle of the Israelites to settle the land in the, the books of Judges and Ruth. The establishment of Israel's kingdom, which ends in enforced exile recorded in Samuel and Kings. And so here in immersed kingdoms, the nation of Israel, which is commissioned really by God, to be God's light to the nations. They fall into division and then into foreign conquest for rejecting God's ultimate rule uh, in their lives. This is the reality of what we're reading this month and in the next in Immerse Kingdoms. Today, I'm focusing on a character that we will encounter, if we've not already done so, in a Immerse Kingdoms week two and part of the reading plan uh, for this coming week, week number two. Uh, This is a complex character. And uh, I think I like this character because he's complex. Just like I'm complex and you're complex. People are complex. This character has strengths and weaknesses. This character has faith and disbelief. This person is is really full of contradiction, and yet God uses this character in a powerful way. He's a common Israelite farmer turned deliverer. He's one part keen military strategist and other part indecisive and unsure. He's one part vengeful, if you read the entirety of his story, and, and uh, the other part, afraid. And he is testing and testing and testing God over and over and over again. This is the Israelite judge, Gideon. Or, as a seventh grader called him in a Bible study I led years ago, guide on. Whatever works for you today. Yeah, you're starting to see it. Guide on, yeah. We focus on part of Gideon's story. It's recorded for us in Judges chapters 6 and 7. 
encourage you to open up a Bible to this text today. Again, the book of Judges. I'll be primarily camped out this morning in chapters 6 and 7. Here, Gideon and his people, the Israelites, were afraid. They were afraid of a people group known as the Midianites. And the Bible describes a a rather dire situation this way. Uh, Judges chapter 6, verses 1 and 2. Again, the Israelites did evil in the eyes of the Lord, and for seven years he gave them into the hands of the Midianites. Because the power of Midian was so oppressive, the Israelites prepared shelters for themselves in mountain clefts and caves and strongholds. Uh, This was the time uh, in Israel's history of the judges. Uh, After Joshua had led the Israelites into the promised land, and before the time of kings Saul, David, and Solomon, uh, I describe this period of Israel's history really as a very vicious circle. And it's really interesting because I think this vicious circle can so very much characterize our spiritual lives as well, at least mine. And here's how the vicious circle worked. The Israelites would be living in a a time of relative peace and prosperity in the land. They were in a, a harmonious relationship with Yahweh God. Um, and, and they were keeping uh, the law of Moses. They were worshiping God uh, wholeheartedly. But over time, they begin to worship and begin to introduce worship of, of the many gods from the surrounding people groups. Generally, these these gods are referred to as Baal. As a result of Baal worship, God's protection of Israel, God's favor is is withdrawn from the Israelites. They're invaded, they're defeated, they're occupied, and they're subject to the neighboring people groups. Then in their distress and misery, Israelites would cry out to God. God would, would receive their cry and God would send a judge like Gideon to lead Israel to to cease worshiping Baal, to worship Yahweh God, to follow the law of Moses, God's protection and favor restored, enemies defeated in battle, leading to peace and prosperity in the land once again. And then time would pass. And the Israelites would forget how God had saved them from their enemies. And they would neglect worshiping God and keeping the law of Moses. They would reintroduce Baal worship and the vicious circle would go around and around and around. We witness the ill effects of this vicious circle in Judges chapter 6 verses 3 through 5. Whenever the Israelites planted their crops, the Midianites, the Amalekites, and other eastern peoples invaded the country. They camped on the land and they ruined the crops all the way to Gaza. And they did not spare a living thing for Israel, neither sheep nor cattle nor donkeys. They came up with their livestock and their tents like swarms of locusts. It was impossible to count them or their camels They invaded the land to ravage it. So here Israel invaded 
and occupied, crops ruined, livestock destroyed, outnumbered and fearful. We, we read just a little earlier that they hide out from their enemies in mountain clefts and caves. And it's during this time of distress, this time of, of misery, that, that God enters into the story this morning in the form of a, an angelic being. And we, we read about this encounter here in Judges 6.11. The angel of the Lord came and sat down under an oak in Ophrah that belonged to Joash the Abizrite, where his son Gideon was threshing wheat in a wine press to keep it from the Midianites. I want to pause for just a moment here. Gideon is a farmer. He's a farmer, a common Israelite farmer, and he's threshing wheat. And this was a process uh, that, that separated the, the lightweight outer shell called the chaff from the heavier usable grains of wheat. Typically, this was done in a, a high and kind of open place where, where wind could help blow the chaff away from the wheat grain. But Gideon is threshing wheat in a wine press. And it's just important to note, a, a wine press was a, a hole kind of hidden down in the ground in which grapes were, were crushed. And Gideon is down in the wine press, threshing uh, the wheat, fearful that the Midianites will steal his grain, that they will harm him. And so we continue reading in verse 12. When the angel of the Lord appeared to Gideon, he said, The Lord is with you, mighty warrior." Mighty warrior. Gideon is fearful and hiding. Mighty warrior. Through this angelic being, God is seeing something in Gideon that he does not yet see in himself. And I think that can be the same for us as well. That... That can be true for us and with us as well. As God, as God looks at us, God sees more in us than we see in ourselves. The Lord is with you, mighty warrior. Throughout the Bible, we read about God being with us. We see it throughout the entirety of Scripture. We see it here in the story of Gideon, in the New Testament, uh, in the Gospels, we read about this, this incarnation of God. God becoming flesh and blood and bone and dwelling among us in the person of Jesus. And we also learn as we read the entirety of God's story recorded for us in Scripture that when we entrust our lives to Jesus, commit our lives to Christ. God promises to continue to be with us, quite literally taking up residence in our lives through the person of the Holy Spirit. And so over and over and over again, the Bible teaches us God is with us. And over and over and over again, we learn that because God is with us, 
God is able to use ordinary people like an Israelite farmer named Gideon. God's able to use ordinary people like you. God is able to use an ordinary, imperfect person like me to do extraordinary things. And so God begins to prompt Gideon to save Israel. And immediately Gideon's fears begin to rise to the surface. They they rise up to the surface. Here's one of Gideon's fears. Gideon was afraid that God wasn't faithful. We read this in Judges chapter 6, verse 13. But Sir Gideon replied, If the Lord is with us, why has all of this happened to us? Now, it is important to note that, that Gideon was given an answer to that question because God had recently sent a prophet Uh, We were talking about prophets in Christian formation this morning. That God had recently sent a prophet who spoke to the Israelites on God's behalf, declaring all of this was happening to them because they had turned away from God. And they were worshiping Baal. I think there are times where we too are afraid that God is not faithful. We to ask God, if you are with us, why is this happening? It's one of Gideon's fears. I think it can easily be one of our fears as well. Another fear. Gideon was also afraid that he wasn't good enough. That he did not measure up. We read this in Judges chapter 6, verse 15. But Lord, Gideon asked, how can I save Israel My clan is the weakest in Manasseh. And I am the least in my family. And maybe there's someone here, if you're really honest this morning, you can relate with this fear as well. The moment God prompts us to do something, we begin to present all the reasons why we can't. We present our resume as to why we're the wrong person for the job. I wasn't at the top half of my class, God. I was in the the other half that made the top half possible. (laughs) God sees more in us than we often see in ourselves. The Lord is with you, mighty warrior. In spite of this clear promise, Gideon made excuses. He's seeing only his limitation, his weakness. He failed to to grasp and understand that God could indeed work through him. And I think like Gideon, especially those of us who have entrusted our lives to Jesus, we're imbued with God's Holy Spirit, given spiritual gifts to, to build up and edify the body of Christ that is the church, like Gideon, we're we're often called to serve God in specific ways. And although God promises us presence and provision, we we often make excuses. But I want us to think about it just a little bit for a moment right now. If if we're invited to serve God in a specific way and and we begin to feel and, and begin to share our limitation and our weakness with God, 
uh, this may imply that somehow God doesn't know who we are. Or that God made a mistake in judging our capacity or character. And so with this in mind, this kind of challenge in mind that's that's emerging, I think, from the example of Gideon, a a question for us to, to think about this morning is this, what fear, what has fear kept us from doing that God is calling us to do? What has fear kept us from doing that God is calling us to do? Some among us today may feel a, a, a desire to share the love of God in Christ with someone else uh, with our words, but, but fear has kept us back from, from speaking it. What if I say something wrong? What if I, what if I offend? Others may be called to share the love of God uh, in Christ with others through some type of, of action, but fear has really kept us from doing anything uh, because We know it may cost us something. There might be sacrifice involved, time or material resources or convenience or comfort. Some hear God's call to just fully entrust their lives to Jesus. That that deeper and further call to follow after Christ. But fear has kept us from really stepping in and taking that, that full commitment uh, we're, we're, we're afraid. Fear has kept us from doing it. We're afraid. What, what will my family think if I really commit to this? What will they think? They, they won't understand. What will my friends say? What will my coworkers do? And we, we can so easily end up living this kind of halfway sort of lukewarm Christian life. And so what, what is it? What has fear kept us from doing? that God is calling us to do. I'm convinced that God wants to do what I call the Gideon in our lives. And it's not a hot new dance craze. I'm not going to dance for you this morning. God, God wants to do the Gideon in our lives. It's not the electric slide. It's not the Macarena. It's not a dance. This is what the Gideon is. The Gideon is this, when God uses an unsure and fearful person to do the impossible. And and some, and I I think if we really all sat and thought about it a little bit this morning, maybe all of us are facing something that seems to be impossible. It feels like an impossible situation, and reason and logic and conventional wisdom may be saying to us that this situation in all likelihood is just not going to work. And if we're in a seemingly impossible situation like this today, we are ideal candidates for God to do the Gideon in our lives. As the story continues, uh, we discover God's truths in Gideon, or what I would call God's Gideon truths, The first one is this, God's strength through our weakness is exactly enough. Judges chapter 6, verse 14, the Lord turned to Gideon and said, go in the strength that you have and save Israel out of Midian's hand. Am I not sending you? Go in the strength that you have 
and save Israel out of Midian's hand. Am I not sending you? Just a few months ago now, our, our mission team was preparing to travel to Myanmar. And in all honesty, I'll just say, I, I was wondering, I was thinking, what in the world do I have to offer Pastor Daniel? The members of his church who live in poverty, abject poverty like I've never experienced in my life. What in the world do I have to offer? I, I, I was really wrestling with that. And then as our team continued to meet and we prayed, had some meetings and the trip was getting closer, there was, there was kind of a clarity, God's Holy Spirit communicating, go in the strength that you have. Just go with the strength that, that you have. Go and listen, and learn, and serve. And, and God, God was also communicating through the Holy Spirit in my life to say, I've already provided you something to bring to the people in Myanmar. And that's my word. Bring my word. Bring my word. That's, that's what you need to bring and what you need to share. I'll provide exactly what you need to accomplish my purpose. After all, Kenton, Am I not sending you? God's strength through our weakness is exactly enough. Well, as we continue to, to, to uh, follow the story of Gideon, uh, even the promise of God's presence and provision to deliver Israel from her enemies, Gideon continues to be unsure and fearful. And so he asks God for a sign. This is an outlandish kind of sign. Now, generally speaking, the Bible and your pastor do not encourage you to ask God for outlandish signs. However, in this case, for reasons that I still don't understand, God agrees to give Gideon a sign. After speaking to Gideon, God agrees to wait as Gideon prepares an offering of meat and bread. And God instructs Gideon uh, to place the offering on a rock, touches it with the tip of a staff, and Fire flares from the rock and it consumes the offering. It's, it's outlandish. This doesn't seem to convince Gideon. He continues to be unsure and fearful. So God agrees to give Gideon a second sign. Gideon lays a wool fleece out on the threshing floor, asking God to cover it with dew overnight while keeping all the ground around the fleece dry. And God provides the sign. And it's bizarre. And this doesn't convince Gideon either. And he continues to be unsure and to be fearful. God agrees to give Gideon a third sign. This time, Gideon asks that God keep the fleece dry and cover the, round, the ground surrounding it with dew, and God provides the sign. And so, friends, let's just be careful. Let's be careful not to ask God for outlandish and bizarre signs. I think in many ways it's an indication of, of unbelief. Fear often also makes us wait and wait for more confirmation when we're being invited to take steps of action. And I just want to say this morning, this idea of putting out a fleece, 
I think is a poor decision-making method. I'll just be honest about it. Uh, those who do this put limitations on God. And, and, and um, they, they, they ask God to fit their expectations. And so what I want to share with you all today, church, is that God has given us the greatest means of guidance. And it is God's Word. It is the words of Scripture recorded for us in the Bible. And unlike Gideon, we have God's complete revealed Word to us. And so if we want God's guidance, don't ask for signs. Read Scripture and pray and do what God is calling you to do. As we enter into chapter 7, Gideon is convinced, as evidenced by his work, to gather together 32,000 Israelite soldiers to, to take the battle to the Midianites. However, historical records indicate that the Midianites were at roughly 150,000 soldiers who had joined forces with other eastern and nomadic peoples. And so we, we can estimate, it was safe to say there were 200 plus soldier, enemy soldiers. And so Gideon must have thought, hey, 32K, that's a good start, but we've got, we've got some work to do. We need more soldiers. And then we read this in Judges chapter 7, verse 2, the first half of the verse. The Lord said to Gideon, you have too many men for me to deliver Midian into their hands. Say, what? <laughs> too many men? And this brings us to, I think, another one of God's truths in Gideon. And this is what I want to share. And stay with me this morning. With God, the way forward often begins by moving backwards. Uh, we see this, Judges chapter 7, verses 2 and 3. In order that Israel may not boast against me, that her own strength has saved her, announce now to the people... Anyone who trembles with fear may turn back and leave Mount Gilead. So 22,000 men left while 10,000 remained. With God, the way forward, it, it often begins backwards. We, we desire that God would, would bring us forward and take us forward and move us forward, but we seem to be going backwards. Uh, maybe we want uh, uh, relationships to be, to be stronger and friendships to be stronger and to see forward movement in those relationships, and yet we seem to be going backwards. Uh, maybe there's a conflict that comes to a head and we reach a tipping point in that relationship, and it's such an important relationship, and we, we're going backwards. Or we desire forward movement in our spiritual lives. I want to grow in my knowledge of the Bible. I, I, I want to develop a stronger prayer life. I want to go deeper in my relationship with Jesus. I want to go further into the mission that God is inviting me to. But all of this requires sacrifice. It requires time and it requires material resources. And it's countercultural. And I... I feel like I'm going backwards. We want, we want forward movement in vocation 
or we want forward movement in an organization and we, we experience a decrease. For every one step forward, there are two steps backwards. And I think it's very much like a slingshot. Before it goes forward with power and trajectory in force, it first must come backwards. Gideon had 32,000 soldiers minus 22,000 soldiers. Now, I'm not a math genius, but I can tell you that's not enough soldiers. Gideon's thinking, but God, I thought we were going forward. And God says, yes, we are going forward, but we haven't gone forward far enough yet. So tell those remaining to go drink some water. And watch how they drink, Gideon. If they get down on their knees and they kind of lap it up with their tongues like a dog, with their heads down, send them home. However, if they lap it up with their hands to their mouths, their heads up, scanning the horizon, let them stay. These are the warriors that will defeat the Midianites. And when all is said and done, 300 remain. 32,000 to 10,000 to 300. Gideon is thinking, but God, I thought we're going forward. And with God, the way forward often begins going backward. The story continues. God leads Gideon to make this battle plan, assemble trumpets and jars and torches, break into three companies of 100, surround the enemy camp, blow the trumpets, smash the jars, lift up the torches and yell, 300 against 200,000 plus with this battle plan. And God causes the Midianites and the Amalekites to turn on one another and they essentially self-destruct. And it's afterwards that all the Israelites finally understand that this was God's work and it was not their own. That there is absolutely no other way they could have won this battle. And their faith and their trust in God, it is deepened and it is strengthened through that experience. Remember, God is with you, mighty warrior. And as soon as we believe this and God begins to prompt us to action, our fears rise up. God, are you with us? What if we are not good enough? And remember today, from the example of Gideon, God wants to do the Gideon in our lives. Using us, even if we're unsure, even if we're fearful, to do what may seem to be impossible. And remember these truths, God's truths in Gideon, God's strength, in our weakness is exactly enough. And with God, the way forward often begins by moving backwards. Amen. Let's pray. God, we thank you for